starting a four-week series on the values of the church in 2020. We're going to talk about what it means to be a person of, of faith, and we're going to talk about compassion this morning. What does compassion look like? What does compassion look like? It's more than just words. It's more than just saying that you're compassionate. We, we tend to think in our culture today, we tend to think that if we say something, it's an accomplishment. If we say that we are something, it's an accomplishment. We've accomplished it, and it just kind of sits there and goes, and goes on from there. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Now listen to this. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? Compassion is much more than just, uh, than just uh, I, see, I haven't let the kids go, have I? Kids, you're dismissed. Some of them knew and they automatically went, we got them trained, just like, I was going to say just like cows, but that wouldn't be nice, would it? Just like well-trained kids, there we go, got myself out of that one. Obedience, uh, compassion is more than just talking about it. It's more than just saying it. Jesus practiced compassion by doing compassion, by engaging in compassion. It says in Matthew 14, 13 through 21, as soon as Jesus heard the news of John the Baptist slaying, he said, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus just wanted to be alone to mourn for a while. Just wanted to be by himself and the crowds kept following. And Jesus didn't turn around and rebuke them and say, get out of here, leave me alone. Can't you see I'm trying to get some me time? It says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. What did that compassion move him to do? Well, two things. He had compassion on them he healed the sick, and then after that is the story of the feeding of 4,000 people. He had compassion on them, and then he fed them a meal also. Two mighty miracles. North Point is called to be a place of compassion. We're going to be talking about what that means in the next few minutes, about what it means to be a place of compassion, that it's more than just words. Now, our mission statement says this, North Point exists to grow spiritually strong people who share God's love by building relationships and living a life that pleases God. I want to draw our attention to the phrase, who share God's love. How do we share God's love? Sharing God's love is an act of compassion. Sharing the love of God is an act of compassion to the people around us. And the way that we put it in our mission statement is by two ways. We say that we build relationships and we live a life that pleases God. The Bible is all about building relationships. Pastor Mike is going to talk about that in a few weeks. He's going to tell us about how to build relationships in a family setting, in, 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 our, in our family that we call the church. But the Bible is big on relationships. In Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, it says this, Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit 
binding yourself together with peace. That's relationship. That's how we have relationships. We take the peace of God and we use it to bind ourselves together, to make us one in Jesus Christ. And then it says, living a life that pleases God. That's to encompass all kinds of issues that we might call holiness. Things that we do, things that we act upon that please God. Did you know that the way you live your life is a sacrifice to God if you allow it to be that way? The way that you live your life, the things that you do are all intended to be pleasing to God. We're to live not for ourselves, but we're to live for God. And we're to live that life that pleases God. In Luke 10, 27, he said, the young man came to him and said, what must I do to be part of the kingdom of God? And he said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says that we are loving our neighbor is an act of compassion towards them. We're to be a church of compassion. We're to be a church that reaches out to the lost and dying among us, to those that are living for, not for God in this world. We're to, be an act, we're to act in compassion towards them. Now turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read from Mark chapter 9, just a short piece of scripture. But in order to understand it, we need to know what's going on before that. And in, and in uh, Matthew chapter 9, uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, there is all kinds of miracles that are happening here. In these two chapters alone, Jesus performs <clears throat> more than eight miracles uh, that range from healing the sick people that were there to casting out demons to calming the raging sea. Chapter 8 and 9 are just miracle after miracle after miracle that Jesus performs by his own power in front of the people. In chapter 8, he heals a man with leprosy. Then he heals a Roman soldier's servant. And then it says, then Jesus healed many. And so we don't even know how many people he healed in that instance, but there were many people that came to Jesus and received healing. He calms the raging sea, and then he heals two demon-possessed men. He casts demons out of them and sets them free. In chapter 9, he heals a paralyzed man. He heals the daughter of a church leader. On the way to the church leader's house, a woman with, with hemorrhage problems came up to him and just touched the hem of his garment. You know the story. She's in the crowd and she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be, I'll be healed. And she reaches out and she touches the hem of his robe as he goes by and she's healed of her hemorrhaging. And he carries, he carries on to the leader's home where he heals the daughter. And then he heals two blind men that beg him to heal them. And he does. And his word gets around town. They brought their sick out, it says, to the, it says to him. And he healed all of them. It's just healing after healing after miracle after miracle after miracle that goes on. And then we come to this piece of scripture. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. 
So ask, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask Him to send more workers into the field. Here we see a few things that Jesus did that showed His compassion. Number one, He preached the good news everywhere that He went. Preaching the good news is an act of compassion. Sharing the good news of the kingdom of God is an act of compassion. And then it says He healed people everywhere He went. He had compassion upon their physical needs that they had. He healed them as they went forward. He, went, he saw sick people and He healed them. They brought them to Him and He healed them. He fed them. He did all kinds of different miraculous things to bring relief to people's lives. And then it says He had compassion on the confused and helpless people. He saw them in a specific way. He saw them as confused and helpless. The state of people without God is one of confusion and helplessness. Now they don't think they're confused and helpless. Some of them believe that they are. When they get to the point where they're desperate enough, they confess their confusion and their helplessness. But Jesus sees them for what they really are, confused and helplessness. And then he recognizes the need for help in meeting the need of the harvest. He says in another place, The fields are white unto harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth workers into the kingdom to take in the harvest. He sees that the harvest is greater than we would ever believe it was. And we need to see things the way that Jesus sees them. We need to see the harvest this morning for what it is. But the first thing that we notice is Jesus is proclaiming the good news. It says in verse 35, Jesus traveled all through the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. Proclaiming the good news is an act of compassion. It is telling people where they can find what they need for their lives. Someone once said that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And I found that's true. In helping the poor, I found that if you help a homeless person and they know who you are, they're going to tell their friends about it. They're going to say, that guy right there, help me. Maybe he'll help you. And word gets around really fast. They know all the places to go. They know all the places to stay. They know all of the ins and the outs because they're telling each other what they need to survive. And evangelism is simply you and I, one beggar, we're beggars before God, telling another beggar where to find bread, where to find food. We need to proclaim that good news. Now what is the good news? I think we need to define our terms a little bit here before we go any further. What is the good news? Well, the first thing that we need to recognize is that there are false good news out there also. The Bible says in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, it says, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. Now, Paul had in mind those that added on to the gospel of Jesus Christ by requiring circumcision and keeping the law and all of that kind of stuff in order to be saved. He said that's not the good news. The good news is not that you can earn your way into God's favor. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people think today. They believe that if they're good enough, if they give enough, if they act right enough, if they show up to church enough, if they do all of these different things, that that's the good news, that they can earn God's favor. But let me ask you a question. How much is enough? Do you know how much is enough? Well, the answer in the Bible says it's perfection. 
It's to be perfect before God. That's the fulfillment of the law, is to be perfect before Him. Any perfect people here this morning? If you raise your hand, you just disqualified yourself. There's no perfect people in God's kingdom. We're all sinners saved by grace. So Paul was saying, don't let anybody fool you with a false good news. I say it again as I've said it before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. It's important that you know the good news and what it means. It says in 2 Corinthians 11.4, you happily... This is not a compliment, by the way. He says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one that you believed. So what is this good news? What is the good news that we have? Well, the Bible tells us. It says in Isaiah 61.1, In the Old Testament it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. What is that good news? He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. Jesus spoke those words when he was asked to read in the synagogue one day. He read from the, from the book of Isaiah. He read this verse to them. And he said, today in your presence this verse is fulfilled. He was saying, I am the good news. I am the good news of God to you. You need to believe that. And then in Acts 10.36, it says this. Peter is preaching to the crowd, and he says, or he's preaching to the Gentiles. And he says, this is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. What is the good news? It's simply this. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and there he intercedes for us day and night. The good news is that we can be forgiven through Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the answer for all of our good news. It says in Titus 3, 4, and 7, When God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. We can never earn enough credits to get God's favor in our life. The good news is Jesus did it all for us. We can lean on His righteousness and His holiness and His goodness, and then we are made right with God. Not by works of, I, I learned it this way in the King James Version, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And then it says He generously poured out the Spirit upon us Through Jesus Christ our Savior, because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. That is the good news. Compassion is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. and, And it was backed up by healing of diseases. Jesus said, just to show you that I know what I'm talking about, I'm going to heal your body. I'm going to perform miracles in your life. I'm going to prove that I am God by what I do. It says that it says uh, in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it says this. Listen to this. For when we brought you the good news, there's the proclamation. When we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with the power, with power, 
for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we had said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. I want you to focus your attention on that phrase that says, it is not only with words, but also with power. Jesus and God and, and, the, and the disciples and the apostles focused their power on the Holy Spirit, on the people that were around them. They prayed for the sick. They prayed for those that needed healing. They prayed for those that needed a touch from God. That's why I think it's powerful that we do that every once in a while in our presence here when we gather together. Uh, you that come here regularly, you know that that's not something freakish that happened this morning. We do that all the time because there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. We just finished a week of prayer. And let me just say, I am so grateful for the turnout that we had. I think it was the best attended prayer meetings that week of prayer that we've ever had here at North Point. And I felt the presence of God in every one of those meetings that we had. And I want to thank you for responding to that in such a great way. It was a powerful time in the name of Jesus it was. Amen? Amen. You know, those, that, that miracle-working power is so important to our lives. It, it validates the compassion that we have. And in many ways, it is a compassionate touch. In a recent issue of Christianity Today, a Muslim man, well, this is back in 2013, but a Muslim man described his commitment, how he came to follow Jesus Christ. He had heard about Jesus Christ a little bit here and there, and surprisingly, it was an ordinary, I put the, in air quotes, ordinary miracle that brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. And let me just say, that is happening prominently, frequently, among Muslim nations that are close to the gospel especially. God is pouring out signs and wonders among those people that are leading them to Jesus Christ. There's a revival going on in Iran right now. In that country that's causing, that has so much troubles and so much difficulties that we're getting kind of sucked into there too. It, there's a great revival that's happening. The church is growing in that great country. And God is doing a wonderful thing through signs and miracles. People are having dreams about Jesus that are leading them to follow Jesus Christ. But this man writes, he says, one night the only food my wife and I had was a small portion of macaroni. My wife prepared it very nicely. Then one of her friends knocked on the door. I told myself, the macaroni is not sufficient for even the two of us, so how will it be enough for three of us? You see, in their culture, you don't turn away people that come to your house. You feed them. Every time they show up, you put out food. You share what you have with them. And this guy didn't have anything but just enough macaroni for maybe two people. Because we have no other custom, we opened the door, and she came in to eat with us. While we were eating the macaroni started to multiply. It became full in the bowl. I suspected that something was wrong with my eyes, so I started rubbing them. I thought maybe my wife had some macaroni under the small table, so I checked. There was nothing there. My wife and I looked at each other, but because the guest was there, we said nothing. Afterward, I lay down on the bed, and as I slept, Isa... Jesus came to me in a dream and asked me, Do you know who multiplied the macaroni? He said, I don't know. He said, I am Isa el Masa, Jesus the Messiah. And if you follow me, not only the macaroni, but your life will be magnified. 
and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ that day because of the miracle of the macaroni. Surprised somebody hasn't built a shrine around there, the miracle of the macaroni. But there are miracles that are happening that's powerful for people to see that. They were like, they were like confused without, without a shepherd. Folks, that's why we need to pray for the sick every opportunity that we have. That's why I tell you in your everyday conversations with people, if something comes up that the Holy Spirit opens a door of ministry opportunity by them saying something like, I just can't get over this cold or I can't, my mom is sick or you know something like that, or I don't know where our finances are going to come from this week. My husband got laid off. I don't know where we're going to find the money to pay the rent. That's an opportunity for you to open the door for the Holy Spirit to do something miraculous. And all you need to say are those five little words that I say so often. Right. Can I pray for you? And if they say no, just say, fine, I understand. I'm going to pray for you in my own private times of prayer, but I'm going to ask God to do a miracle in your life. And then just stand back and watch what the Lord does. You don't have to do anything more than that except to pray the prayer. If you have something in your pocket to give them, you can give them that. If you have some way to help them, go ahead and help them with that. That shows compassion also. But praying that prayer and believing for the miraculous is something that is necessary. Jesus looked and he saw that they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How we see people matters in how we respond and it reveals our heart. It reveals our heart. Jesus' default mode was to love sinners. Remember the rich young ruler in Mark 10 that came to Jesus wanting to know how to get be the kingdom of God? He asked the question, which of the Ten Commandments do I keep? Or what do I do? And he said, he said, you know the Ten Commandments, don't you? And the young man said, I've kept them since I was a young boy. Woo! Talk about a little arrogance there. I've kept them since I was a young boy. Oh, really? Did you? I don't think so. But he said it. Jesus kind of overlooked it. And it says this. Jesus felt genuine love for him as he looked at him. He realized that this young man was hungry for God, needed something great, and Jesus saw him and he loved him. How we see people determines how we treat people. How we see people determines how we treat people. The Golden Globe Awards, I don't know how many of you watched that. I didn't watch it because I'm just not interested in that kind of thing. But the Golden Globe Awards, I saw on my Facebook feed that there was an actress who was thankful for her abortion because it allowed her to get the acting jobs that she wanted. And the Facebook lit up like crazy on both sides, pro and con. And unfortunately, most of the con was was expressions of anger and disgust and all of that kind of stuff which I understand it should kind of disgust us when people talk like that when they have those feelings but how do we see her do we see her as someone that should be condemned and and brazen and thrown aside and tossed aside and castigated no the Bible says that she is confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd what do we expect from people that don't know Jesus Christ do we expect them to be godly? Do you expect your one-year-old to not spill his milk if you give it to him without a cap on it? Of course you do, because that's what one-year-olds do. You don't castigate them. You love them anyway, don't you? And the Bible says that we should love and, and, and see them in a specific way. 
there's a, there's a great theologian named D.A. Carson that uh, was, was, uh, had, had ministered all day. He was tired. He was with a friend. He just wanted to get away and get some relaxation time. And so he went to the beach like we've got here in Michigan, some of the beautiful beaches that we have here in Michigan. And as he went there, he just wanted to be alone, and he discovered that it was graduation day. So guess who was at the beach? All the high schoolers that were graduating were there. And they were raucous and rowdy and they were drinking and having all kinds of fun and, uh, you know, just doing all kinds of stuff. And he said, I was deeply disappointed that my evening's relaxation was being shattered by a raucous party. I was getting ready to cover my disappointment by moral outrage. How dare those kids act that way? I turned to Ken, his friend, to unload my venom, but I stopped as I saw him staring at the scene with a faraway look in his eye. And then he said rather softly, high school kids, what a mission field. The Pharisees were offended by sin. Jesus looked at sinners as victims. The Pharisees were offended by sin. Now, I know we should be offended by sin. Sin should be offensive to us. But how we treat the sinner makes all the difference in the world. How we treat the sinner makes all the difference in the world. We need to be very careful about that. And so he says the solution is to send more workers out into the field. Is to send more workers out in the field. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Uh, you know, I, I want you to look at that word, worker. It says, send more workers into the field. You know, I heard recently about a five-year-old girl that went to her, parent, to her grandparents' house out in the country, and for the first time in her life, she got to harvest corn on the cob, off the cob on the stalk. You can tell I'm a farmer, can't you? And she pulled him off and she said, this is fun, Grandma. And it was fun, Grandma. And it was fun, Grandma. And then after a little while, it got to be work, Grandma. This is hard, Grandma. I don't know if I want to do this anymore, Grandma. It became work to her. And she looked up at her Grandma and she said, Grandma, you know you can buy these in the store, right? That's sometimes how we treat church work. It's fun at first, but then it becomes work. And we, 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 we forget that we're called to be workers in the field. And we can get weary and we can get tired and we can feel overwhelmed. But the Bible says that we're to work for the kingdom of God. The church today can resemble a theme park or it can be a city mission. And how you look at it makes all the difference in the world. The predicament of the American church is that we think the church should be Disneyland. We think the church should be the place where we come to get blessed, and that's it. Now, we should come to be blessed. We are coming here to be blessed. I hope that this, this morning's worship time refreshes and renews you. That's what it's for, to bring the presence of God into our life and to bring refreshing. But it's not the end of the, of the story when we're refreshed and when we're lifted up. The end of the story is now we can go out and work for the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers. You know, very few people, I'm going to clue you in on some pastoral theology that we don't tell other people. But people today come to churches basically wondering what it can do for them. And churches are catering to that by, you know, we do that in some degree, uh, catering to that by, by making the church attractive and doing all the things that we think will appeal to them and all of that kind of stuff. 
But, but the truth of the matter is, very few people come in saying, you know what, I've got these gifts, I've got these talents, I've got these abilities. Where can I plug in in this church? Where can I come and do something? Where can I come and extend the harvest in this church? When you find somebody like that, you grab onto them and you hold on to them because they're so rare. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is looking for harvesters. It's looking for people. You have a mission to work, and you have to do it hard work of loving the unlovely and doing the hard work of sacrificing your time and your energy for the sake of the kingdom of God. But it's all there for us. It's all work for us. Now, I realize that doesn't sound real attractive, but that's what the kingdom of God is. You will have all of eternity to rest and recreate. That's what eternity is going to be. It's going to be one big worship service. It's going to be one time of standing in the presence of God and enjoying His presence forever. While we're here, we're to work. So what does this mean? Let's close this off with a couple of uh, we wills that we're, going to, that we're going to talk about. Number one, we will at North Point, this compassion is going to drive us to do some things. And number one, it will, we will continue to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. In Mark 16, 15, it says, He told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. The good news that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to continue to do that here at North Point. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I purposely put a little curve into every sermon, almost every sermon that I preach that comes along as a salvation bent. Because I don't ever want to assume that everybody here knows Jesus Christ. Some of them may have been coming here for years and never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. I don't want to take that for granted. I don't want to miss an opportunity to let them know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but you can bring your friends here. They will hear the gospel. I promise you that as the pastor of this church, that they will hear the gospel at North Point Assembly of God. Nearly every service in some way, somehow, I try to bring that home. And we're going to continue to do that. Secondly, we're going to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to move in power among us. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to move in power among us. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do things that He wants to do. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean just in the service, although we're, we, we want that to happen too. We want the Holy Spirit to move in the service. But I'm talking about in our daily lives, the everyday go to work, go to school, go to church, go to, go to home, go to wherever you're going, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. If He just works here in the church, we're only using about an eighth of His power. We need to let him work at home at school, and I just told you about it. Look for opportunities to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look for opportunities to pray bold prayers, to ask for healing, to ask for strength, to ask for deliverance. Ask God to set people free. Let's go in the power of the Spirit. At North Point, we will continue to allow the Holy Spirit to move in power among us. And then thirdly, we are going to, at North Point, we will make ourselves available as harvesters in the field. I'm going to continue to challenge you to make yourself available in the kingdom of God here at North Point and other places around town. There are other places around town that you can reach out and be part of. Uh, my wife Sandy works through Barnabas House Ministries and mentors young girls that are in, uh, in juvenile detention centers and helps that way. There are other multiple opportunities that maybe we don't do as the church, but you can do it as under the Lord. 
But make yourself available for the harvest of God that He has. Maybe God has been laying some kind of a ministry on your heart that this church isn't doing. And God is saying to you, you start that. You get that going. You make that happen. Go ahead and do it. Let me know what, you, what God is saying to you. We'll help you in whatever way we can to make sure that that happens. But those are the three things that we're going to continue to do at North Point. We're going to continue to proclaim the good news. We're going to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to move. We're going to continue to make ourselves available as harvesters in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask you just to give yourself to Jesus one more time this morning. I want you to know if you have Jesus, you can have His compassion too. It's all part of the same deal. And God will give you that compassion if you just ask Him for it. So let's pray, and then we'll sing, and then you'll be dismissed, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You that we can have the compassion that You have. We pray that Your Holy Spirit would come in this place and that it would move among us and cause us to be compassionate. May we look upon the people in the right way, God, as confused and helpless victims of sin. In Jesus' name we pray.